The following audio is from Fellowship Baptist Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to make and mature disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. All right, guys, this is uh, Daniel Ward. I'm the student pastor here at Fellowship. I'm here with Julian Martinez, our interim pastor. And uh, we're here today again to talk about our sermon uh, from last week. And um, so we had to kind of take a little break this past week. I was on vacation, so we couldn't do the podcast. But yeah. here we are back to discuss uh, the sermon from uh, not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before, which would have been the 19th, April 19th. And you talked about uh, suffering op- opposition. Right. Right. And, uh, and so we're going to uh, go through some questions again. First of all, it was a bummer that we couldn't meet outside that day. Oh, I hated it. We've done so good with yeah. weather, and then boom, right then on the 19th, we had some rain issues. And it was so spotty all day. Mm-hmm. It maybe rained a little and then didn't rain and was cloudy and windy, and we kept you know, hoping we could do it, mm-hmm. and then... I hated it. It was well. Then we made the call, and it, and it didn't really even rain. No, it had this big rain. band of rain headed for us, and it was sprinkling. So we we're like, we don't put the equipment out, and then, uh, it, and then it didn't even really rain. So, yeah. oh well. But uh, we've had some good days. We have had. Some we've been good very days. fortunate. It was yeah, and we had some, a good crowd online that that were able to watch and, yeah. and join in. So, mm-hmm. um, so we'll go ahead and dive right into some of these questions. You talked about opposition and. Man, what a like a heavy topic, a meaty topic for us to discuss today, too. Yeah, it's so good. I think, I think it's going to be a good one to to go through. So my first question, I mean, you talked a lot about the fact that um, that if we're not facing opposition, then we're not doing it right. Yeah. And you, uh, you use the story there in, in Acts 4 um, where Peter and John immediately face opposition. They heal the lame man. Mm-hmm. They're preaching. And uh, and immediately there's opposition to, to, their, to their ministry and what they're doing. Let me ask you this: Are, are if, if someone not doing their job as a Christian, if someone is not actively trying to abuse, kill, or, or, or harm them in some way, right? Like, I guess like what you're asking <clears throat> when I was preaching, I said, you know, we're not doing our job, and so we're not facing opposition. So, like, if if someone's not actively trying to kill me or throw me in prison for preaching, am I not doing my job? Right. That's right. kind of what you're asking. So, I would say that um, basically. And I, I was hoping to kind of get this out there through the sermon, and I might not have been clear enough. But you know, as a whole, I genuinely feel like, through evidence of Scripture, as a whole, I feel like we're not doing our job, and that has not brought the opposition that looked like what the apostles saw. So you know, in the time of the apostles, you have to remember that uh, it, it was a different time. Mm-hmm. It's a little more barbaric, right? Mm-hmm. They, they would just kill somebody to kill somebody to get rid of them. And nobody asked any questions. It wasn't very fair, but at the same time, they were kind of, they were turning the world upside down. It's what the Bible says, meaning, you know, people were getting saved. And, we, and when I talked about this in the sermon, you know, and it was closing down merchants who would sell maybe idols to people who had gotten saved, who weren't buying these idols anymore. It was shutting down business it was shutting down commerce and it was threatening the way of life to the Jewish people who were really, you know, being controlled by their legalistic kind of religious views. And so, yeah, it led to a lot of them being thrown in jail and killed. But it was because, you know, in my opinion here, 
it's because as a whole, everybody was doing the job that they were called to do. Mm-hmm. Right. When we started this whole series on the We Are Fellowship, you know, I think it was one that you preached where it said that they held all things in common and, you know, the church was growing exponentially. And, you know, uh, that that whole idea of them holding all things in common, meaning that if 10 people got saved, then all 10 of those people hit the street witnessing. Mm-hmm. Right. If 20 people got saved, all 20 of those people hit the streets witnessing and they were making disciples and it was like they were doing their job. And so flip that around to 2020 United States of America. The way I like to look at it as an analogy is you have this big army labeled Christian. Mm-hmm. In the United States of America, we have uh, what what we call Christianity, meaning we talk about this all the time. So-and-so says, you know, you ask the question, are you a Christian? And so-and-so says, oh, yeah, I've, I grew up Christian. Right. 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 Uh, we meet them all the time. Mm-hmm. My grandmother's Christian. I came to church a lot when I was a kid. Yeah, I'm Christian. But that's not what Christian means. Right. However, here in the United States of America, we've got this whole band of army called Christian. And then on the other side of the battlefield, we have this whole army called Satan and the opposition of the world. Right. And the way it looks is this, the opposition in the world is looking at us as Christianity. And, and there are a few doing the job that they're supposed to be doing. Right. Mm-hmm. Obviously we feel like we are. Right. And, and, and then they're the guys who don't look very offensive on the front lines because they're all scattered right. and the rest of the army, let's say are asleep. Mm-hmm. And so if we're running out charging the enemy and there's only a few of us, this vast army, what do they have to fear? Right. Right. What does the enemy have to fear if we as a whole are not doing our job, but just a few of us here and there are? We're not posing a threat. Right. We're not going to break through their front lines. We're, you know, we're not going to break through and make any waves into into that army. And so the way I look at it is I get it that, you know, if we're doing our jobs, it may not always look like someone's trying to kill us or throw us in jail. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're doing your job for Jesus Christ, Satan is not going to like it. And he will oppose you. Mm-hmm. Right. Things may not go well for you all the time. And, you know, you, you, you may wonder why you can't ever get ahead. And you may wonder why these things kind of keep, you know, Things just don't go your way all the time. You know, there's a lot of spiritual warfare going around. But as far as as a whole and as a society, I do believe that if we pose no threat to the opposition, meaning this huge army, which is the world and Satan and everything he owns, then we're not going to see it like we saw it in those days. Granted, if we did, we would. That was kind of my point. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that, uh, like you said, some of the army is is asleep. Uh, I think a lot of that is cultural Christianity. People mm-hmm. who proclaim Christ with their mouths, but they're not really Christians. There's there's nothing different. They might as well be on the other side, right? I yes. Mean, the way that they live their life looks exactly like the world's. Right. So of course, there's no opposition. They, they shouldn't be on our side, nor should they be labeled Christian. But there they are, and they're not going to go fight because right. they're not really a part of the team. Right. Okay, so that leads great into uh, into the second question. For those who are doing it right, those who, so those who are on that front line, the few hmm. who are uh, who are trying to 
um, do what, what God's called them to do, what can they expect as far as opposition goes? What what can someone in 2020 in the U.S. Now, there are people in China and other parts of the world who are losing their life for their faith. Yes, who are being absolutely. beaten right now. Who are, right now in yeah. 2020. Mm-hmm. But in the U.S., it looks different because of a, a so-called free nation, right? Yeah, religious it's not, as, it's not as free right now. We're stuck in our homes and, and all that. <laughs> but but a, a free nation, um, what, what does it look like for someone in 2020? What does opposition look like? So I would say... Uh, genuine Christianity, genuine followers of Christ who are actually doing what God has called them to do, they they absolutely can face a lot of opposition, right? Um, for instance, I'm not going to name them, but I, I know a person who got saved a year, year or two ago, and they had all these friends, and they used to party with all these friends all the time and everything, and as we were talking to this person just a few months ago before the whole lockdown, obviously, uh, they were like, all my friends are church friends now. All my friends are, are friends that I've done Bible study with or I go to church with because all the other friends have pretty much abandoned me. Mm-hmm. When I don't want to go out and drink, when I don't when I say, yeah, I'll come hang out, but they're going to have drinks and I don't want that. Uh, they said, you know, uh, they, they, they now don't invite me. Mm-hmm. And and I get that that's not really opposition, but that's what it looks like, right? That when we're doing the job we're supposed to be doing and when we're actually genuinely following Christ, then we're going to have people who were going to be our friend one minute, but then the next minute be opposing us, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what does it look like if, uh, if I have uh, friends who, let's say, are in a homosexual relationship? Now, just to caveat this, right? I don't. I, I'm not going to go tell a person who's in a homosexual relationship to say, oh, you know, don't do that because of the fact that, uh, you know, it's not on me to provide their morals. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if they're if somebody is not saved or following Christ, then they're going to live like unsafe people. Right. However, it is my duty when I'm asked, hey, what do you think about this? I can say, well, you know. God hates all sexual sin, and that does include homosexuality. That does include fornication. That does include adulterers, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that can sound like you're a bigot. Right. And you have this friends who are in a homosexual relationship, and maybe you don't ever talk about Christ or about any of that stuff around them because you don't want to offend them. Mm-hmm. That's opposition. Right. Right. Because you're afraid now that that friendship will no longer be there if you're truthfully witnessing and evangelizing them to see their sin for what it is. Just like I would be with an alcoholic friend who I have. Right. right? And who I've had to sit down and say, hey, this is not right in the sight of God. And and you're not even damaging yourself more. You're damaging damaging the relationship you have with Jesus Christ more. Mm -hmm. And 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 right. We have to do that. Right. And so we risk the uh, we risk the fear of or we fear rather we fear the the risk of losing this relationship and that opposition sometimes causes us not to be bold. Right. Right. Just like the sermon was boldness brings about opposition. If I'm bold in my witness towards friends who are lost or friends who 
you know, forget the homosexual discussion, you know, just lost friends in general. Right. If I have two friends who are heterosexual and they're living together and, and they want to, you know, they want to say, what do I need to do to be right, you know, in God's eyes, you know, and, 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 and follow him and everything. That's something we have to address. Right. Which we've done that before we too do it with people. Time, yeah. And so, and so the fear of risking the, those relationships is a p- opposition. I know, you know, a couple things, and maybe this is a real sensitive topic because we have a lot of educators in our church, and uh, even my wife works at a at a school, and and the the education system has said we need to separate religion from what your what is being taught. Correct. Correct. If I go in there and I'm bold with my witness and with my convictions, and they say you can no longer work here because you're talking about Jesus. What does that look like? Yeah. Right. That's the fear of opposition saying you can't work here. And I think sometimes we um, excuse that for, well, no, I'm being wise instead of, you know, losing my job and not having a paycheck. I'm just being wise about the way I do it. Now, you know, I've I've witnessed this firsthand as experiencing. I mean, I've experienced it firsthand in that I was working at a company and um, this is way before ministry or anything. I was just kind of a dude at my church, you know, and uh, and I was witnessing unto all my coworkers and everything. And I would keep the Christian radio on and it kind of started annoying them that I was just trying to talk to them about Jesus all the time. Mm-hmm. And so they went to management and said, hey, we don't like that. This guy keeps this Christian radio on all day and we don't like that. He has to talk to us about Jesus and everything. And so. Management called me into the office and was like, hey, like we know you're super religious and we're thankful that you're that kind of person. They said, but, you know, we just can't have you doing that here. We can't have you, you know, pushing your religious views and your religious music on everybody here at work. And so then I questioned them and I said, well, why can't I have my music and they can have their music? If their music is pushing and influencing me, then it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a long conversation turned into, I just said, basically, I said, okay. I said, well, if you need me to give you my two weeks notice, I said, I can, because I, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop doing what I'm convicted to do what is right. Right. And, uh, and they, they didn't fire me or anything or didn't let me quit, but and I'm not trying to boast here. I'm not trying to lift myself up and say, you see, I've done it. You can do it too. But what I did see was that like two, three years later, one of my bosses got saved. Yeah. And he credited some of that stuff in our conversation for that. Yeah. That's huge, right? Because imagine if I would have had the fear of this opposition of losing my job. Now, I was the main breadwinner in my house, right? Even right now, n- neither Melissa or I could afford to lose our job. Mm-hmm. We just couldn't live off of one income. Uh, uh, that's fearful, right? And so if, and I credit the Holy Spirit, right? Not just me. I credit the Holy Spirit for all of this. That, you know, if I if I would have backed down and said, no, you know, I think my job is more important than my witness, then who knows what would have happened. Mm-hmm. But God receives glory, right, out of everything we do. And so I do think that if you're doing your job right in 2020, that could very much look like 
opposition from the education system, opposition from your job, opposition from your friends, and risking the relationships that we have. And we have to make that decision in our hearts. That was kind of the idea of the sermon, right? Here's Peter and John, and they're going out preaching and everything else. And the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees said, no, we can't have this. And they lock them up. And at one point, you know, Peter says, uh, you know, whether you think it's right in God's eyes for us to listen to you or God, he says, we cannot stop talking and preaching about what we've seen and heard, meaning do what you want. If you're going to throw us in jail, if you're going to keep beating us, do what you want. But we cannot stop this because of what we've seen and heard. Right. And so, sure, if you're doing what God has called you to do, you're, you're going to see some opposition. I might not look like them coming and throwing you in jail or being murdered or anything like that yet, but you know, you're going to see some opposition and I think we have to be bold in our witness, even though that comes. Yeah. So you, uh, you were talking a little bit about, um, about, you know, when, when, when people in our lives that we're trying to witness to, or that are looking to us as, as how to have a right relationship with God and mm-hmm. they're living in sin. Um, the fact that, that we need to be bold in communicating that what sin is. Sure. Um, I, I, I agree a hundred percent because I think that when we don't make it clear that that is sin, then we're just breeding more cultural Christians, right? Oh, yeah. if, if we communicate that Christianity is just you saying, I'm a Christian. It's like, <laughs> it's like, I don't know if you ever watched the office episode where Michael Scott walks in the room and he's like, I declare bankruptcy. <laughs> yes, I've seen and that. Like you can't just say it. He's like, I didn't say it. I declared, I declared it. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's not how Christianity works either. Right. You can't just walk in and say, you know what? I'm going to identify as a Christian today. Yeah. And, and you're a That's not how it works. Jesus drew a pretty clear line in the sand mm-hmm. and said, you know, that you, you're going to have to repent of that sin. Yeah. And, and that, when the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you, you're no longer going to have a hunger for, for sinful things. You're going to start to hunger for things of righteousness, right? And sure. so you have to turn your back on the sin that you that you live in. And so when we don't communicate that to people in our lives who um, who may come to us and say, okay, I'm interested in this, this Jesus thing that you've been talking about, if we're not honest with them up front and say, yes. well, what that means is repentance of sin. Right. And here's what the Bible calls sin. And is like you said, that there's all kinds of sin. There's the, the the homosexual stuff. There's the heterosexual stuff. There's mm-hmm. the lying. There's the cheating. Oh yeah, it's, gossip. It's it's, yeah. A, it's a huge thing uh, in scripture that we see all these different things that are sin. And, and, and if we're not honest with people, we're doing such a huge injustice to them when we're not communicating that this is what the Christian life should look like. And that's why we have this big, huge line of people mm-hmm. on one side who who are asleep. Yeah. Because they're not, they've not really signed up for Christianity. They've signed up for this cultural thing where they sure. can just say, "I'm a Christian, but I can live the way that I've always lived my life," and that's not what Scripture says. It's not what Jesus came to do. Right, he came to free us from our sin. Yeah, Jesus warned right about false prophets and about uh, be cautious because they can come in looking as angels of light and be like wolf in sheep's clothing. So. I think one of the biggest things that Satan can probably pride himself in is he has kind of, in my opinion, he's slipped into the camp and he's began to to convince people that this nominal cultural Christianity is okay. Mm-hmm. It's slipped into the church too, right? Oh, 100%. Uh, this whole seeker-sensitive church type deal, and we're 
pretty much secret sensitive. I get that, right? You want to, you want to, that's a whole nother discussion. Yeah. But you have this, this idea of church that people have now come for the last 20 years where they say, oh, just come, just come to church. You know, like we're not going to tell you not to do anything wrong or, or, you know, big churches don't preach against sin. You know, I've heard big time mega preachers be like, I'm just not going to preach against sin. You know, I don't know what somebody's going through or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that totally eradicates what the cross did. Mm -hmm. The cross of Jesus Christ, he bore our sin on that cross. Sin was the whole reason. Right. And so, yeah, if we don't, if we're not out there saying sin is the reason you're separated from God. And unless you deal with that sin through the blood of Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. And that's another thing, right? Are we boldly saying that? Is every church in America boldly saying that to our culture who is engulfed in sin? to members in our churches who are engulfed in sin, sexual sin, mm-hmm. and, you know, the, you know, cheating and lying and, you know, all this stuff that could go on, you know, under the table deals and everything else. And we don't want to be told that that's not okay. We want to be told we're okay because of Jesus. Yeah. Right? It's this it's this idea to say, no, 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 come on. Jesus just wants to hug you. He wants to embrace you. He wants to give you all the feels and don't worry about all the other stuff. Right. Which is incorrect. Right. He told he told the, he told the woman caught in adultery, go and sin. no Oh, more. yeah. Right. Like, yeah. I don't condemn you. Yeah. I'm not going to condemn, but go and sin no more. Yeah. Like our relationship is going to create change in your life and you need to go and sin no more. Absolutely. This needs to create a, a catalyst in your life to where change takes place. I yeah. mean, you were. Uh, you know, you're talking about the opposition of people losing friendships and things like that. So when we live in righteousness, there's opposition, mm-hmm. right? And, and because light dispels darkness. If you're living in light and living in righteousness, then the lost people around you are going to want to not be around you. Right. And so, and then as you proclaim the gospel and you and you point out sin in people's life and, and identify what sin is as you proclaim truth, mm-hmm. there's opposition in that. Oh, yeah. Right. Okay, and so that leads us to the final question here. You know, as we think about opposition, and, and you kind of talked about it earlier, like as time progresses, mm-hmm. the culture that we live in will likely change, yeah. right? We're already kind of in this post-Christian world where, where Christianity is, we're not going to be physically abused likely in, in the U.S. For our, sure. for our faith. But not yet. There's a time when that could come. Right? <laughs> yeah. And so as we think that for some, there could be this this sense of fear that ushers in their heart of thinking, man, I'm afraid of what this country could look like yeah. 10, 15, 20 years from now. I'm afraid of what it'll look like for my kids. I'm afraid mm. of what it'll look like for my grandkids. And so what gives us courage and strength to press on knowing that, yes, we'll live in opposition here, but as the future comes, the opposition may become stronger. Yeah. I always, uh, now I've enjoyed history ever since I was a young kid, but I think really the, the biggest part of why I love the historical looking back on Christianity is because you see that for the first few hundred years, Christians being so bold and, um, fearless in their faith, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, you look at all, and I read it in the sermon, right? Like all, uh, you know, 11 of the 12 disciples were martyred. They were all killed and they tried to kill John, but were unsuccessful. They all went to their death 
because of Jesus Christ. Even some of their disciples went to their death because of Jesus Christ. There are countless testimonies of people who were rounded up by the Romans hundreds of years later and, and who were thrown into prisons and all they had to do was pay homage to the pagan gods and they said, I'm not going to do that. You know, and there's there's stories of, you know, people who had families and, 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 and their families pleading with them saying, please just do what they want you to do. And them saying, no, I'm compelled to to serve Jesus Christ. And if that's going to bring death, then so be it. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, and and I feel I believe that the Holy Spirit of God takes over in us in a way that overcomes that fear. And it's no longer us doing it, but it's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Right. Meaning, you know, I would be terrified and I'm not scared of a lot of things at all. But, yeah, I'd be terrified if I'm being pulled away, dragged to a stake that's burning, you know, because of my faith. Mm -hmm. And so I really feel like we uh, we we would our flesh would kind of step aside and the Holy Spirit of God, which empowers us, Mm kind of would take over at that moment and and help us to not be afraid but to be bold in what we're about to go through um and you know also because i don't think that our hope is here mm-hmm. but our hope is in heaven right right and and scripture says that look at uh i was going to read colossians 3 verses 1 through 4 uh, paul says so if you've been raised with christ seek the things above where christ is seated at the right hand of god Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So Paul is saying the things on this earth do not matter. Right. You know, obviously we have a job to do. We've been commissioned. We have a mission to go and make disciples. Those things matter. Mm -hmm. But all the other stuff doesn't matter. Right. Whether opposition comes or doesn't come, whether, you know, you know, what kind of car we drive. You know, we're talking 2020. What kind of house we live in. You know what I'm saying? What our retirement looks like. That stuff does not matter. That's what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying all the stuff, when you think about it, you think about Christ because that is what matters. Mm-hmm. And who, Christ, who is your life, meaning you don't live your life for you. You live your life for Christ, and Christ is in glory where you will be one day. Well, he's going to come back and get you, he says. And so, uh, you know, I think this is maybe one of the things we struggle with the most as as I disciple people and, and, and we you know teach people here at church is the idea that what ifs on this earth. And I have to constantly be telling people like this earth doesn't matter. Right. Right. So so this earth is going to pass away and we're going to live on forever. And so we need to focus our attention on what God wants for us while we're here. And that focus should be heavenly minded. Right. Meaning I've been saved. I'm surrendered to Christ. I'm doing now. Now I need to find others who Christ has called out Mm. to be saved and to do their job, too. Right. Uh one of the things that always there's a passage of scripture that always comes to my mind whenever I think about suffering and opposition and things like that, even even like you know just suffering of the world that we live in, even if it's not you know opposition, but but just suffering in general. Right. Uh, Romans eight eighteen, Paul says, "For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us." Mm. So as we suffer for the gospel. It, it is not going to compare to the glory of heaven. Right. As we endure suffering in this world, and, and there is going to be suffering. Mm-hmm. There's there's going to be opposition, but there's also going to be 
uh, you know, death and, and things sure. that, that we that we have to endure. All as much as painful as some of those things are, and I know you know you know people whose their child has di- died or, yeah. or that. That's the kind of thing that I can't fathom. Right. You know, that's the kind of opposition that when I think about that Sufferings. kind of stuff, yeah. that that's that's terrifying. Um, you know, if, if things got bad enough to where you know, they start taking your kids away and stuff like yeah. that. That's the kind of stuff that is incredibly fearful. Yeah, absolutely. But, but when you think about as painful of an experience as that would be, it doesn't it doesn't even compare to the glory of heaven. Mm-hmm. And so our reward is far greater. And so having that perspective constantly, I think, is what allows us to continue on and endure. Yeah, I was reading in Hebrews Saturday morning, and uh, man, Hebrews is such a deep book. And mm-hmm. whoever wrote it, my, tip my hat to them. Like yeah. we don't even know who wrote no. Hebrews, but that thing is legit. Mm-hmm. It's deep, and you know, it's a, it's just, it's like the second Romans. I think mm-hmm. you know, it's just so good. And all of uh, Hebrews chapter eleven is talking about faith, and we all know that's kind of the hall of faith, as they call it. Mm-hmm. And and the guy who wrote Hebrews is talking about, you know. Abraham and, and, and Isaac and Jacob and all these, you know, and, and, uh, people who were martyred, right. For being prophets of God and, and, and all of them facing all this opposition. And then you get to chapter 12 and he says this in verse one and two, he says, therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witness surrounding us, meaning we see all uh, the examples of the people who have gone before us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And this is the big part. For the joy uh, that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Those words, the joy set before him. In my mind, I cannot fathom Jesus being joyful about going to that cross. Right. Right. That opposition, that suffering was going to be the worst anybody on in history has ever endured. But the writer of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, meaning Jesus, knowing that God would receive the glory. And not only that, but that after all this passed, he would be in glory with God. Mm-hmm. It's what helped him to persevere through going through that. Right. And so I would say as things get tough here in the United States of America, because I'm a big proponent of maybe we're going to see it in our generation. Mm -hmm. When I'm 50, 60, 70 years old, I feel like because of the way things are trending, maybe we're going to see some of that. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and that scripture in Hebrews should tell us you've seen this before. You've read it in, in in scriptures. You've seen it in China. You've seen it, you know, in some of the Islamic countries. Now here it is. And since you have this whole cloud of witness before you, and even Jesus, who knew that going through all of these sufferings and opposition would bring glory to God, and you have the hope of glory, then you should persevere. Run the race that is set before you, he says. Yeah. And so we should be bold and run the race that's set before us, not because of what we will gain on this earth, but because of what we've already gained in the next life and what God has set before us in our mission to do here on this earth. I agree. All right, guys. Well, we'll uh, cut it there right at about 31 minutes. So uh, we'll try to keep these things short, but um, hope that you uh, have enjoyed this and uh, 
we are uh, continuing on with our parking lot church until things kind of open back up. Hopefully, we're getting a little bit of word from different people, rumors, I guess, uh, that things hopefully will be able to open back up in the next couple of weeks. So anyway, uh, you guys have a uh, blessed day, and uh, let us know if you guys need anything. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today. And we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Baptist Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.